Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. One of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Cranges Pick Basketball. And Tim, before we get started here, would you like to provide our audience with a little coaching search update? Just, you know. Just to check in. I sure can. So we, uh, if you missed the episode, go back and listen to the episode. But Tom and I each drafted our teams of five coaches that, not that we want to get the coaching job for the Lakers, but that we think the Lakers will consider. Uh, Tom's team was Quinn Snyder. Good pick. Steve Clifford. Good pick. Phil Handy. Good pick. Scotty Brooks. Good pick. Terry Stotts. Good pick. My team was Doc Rivers. Eh. Kenny Atkinson. Eh. Alvin Gentry is going to be in uh-huh. King's front office. David Fisdale, like maybe. And Stan Van Gundy, who like openly criticized the Lakers. So <laughs> with our scoring system so far, the only none of those guys have gotten actual head coaching jobs anywhere. They haven't been hired yet. But we've had a few guys on that list be linked to the Lakers by various media reports. We have decided, I think we've decided that our official tally that we're going to grade this by is Harrison Fagan's like ongoing uh, cataloging of, of who the Lakers are tied to. And so far, the Lakers have been tied to 12 candidates. We've got Quinn Snyder, point to Tom, Nick Nurse, Doc Rivers, point to me, Juwan Howard, Steve Clifford, point to you, Terry Stotts, point to you, Mark Jackson, Darvin Ham, Mike Brown, Scotty Brooks, point to you, Alex Jensen, and Adrian Griffin. So it is four to one Tom right now. And I feel Ooh. not good. I feel not good about my chances. How do you feel being a, at a point in your life, we are rooting for Doc Rivers to be the Lakers coach. Yeah, it's it's a bad spot. It's it's just kind of how my my second job of being Doc Rivers' PR agent is going. It's just bad stuff, Tom. I you know, I I'm in not a good not in good a good position. Are you slipping him DeAndre Jordan's stats, advanced <laughs> metrics, so to back up his uh, uh, yeah. psychopathy? Yeah, like, you know, plus minus is one thing, but here's height. <laughs> it's like count take that for data here's how many millimeters he is compared to you know going small how many centimeters how many inches how many feet can't teach tall he runs the table he runs the table he's got all of them that's amazing uh wait great insight to the doc brain um so yeah today we are here going to be talking a little bit about Uh, The recent report that Phil Jackson would be not in charge, but a consultant, I guess, an advisor in the Lakers head coaching search. So we wanted to talk about the nine, 10 ish people in the L.A. Brain Trust um, as Phil has entered that. So I guess I'm just going to list these off so people kind of have some context of who we're thinking of here. Right. Obviously, there's Mm -hmm. Jeannie Buss, Rob Palenka. There's Joey and Jesse Bus. Um, Magic Johnson still has some influence here, I would say as well. Uh, the Clutch slash LeBron family, um, Phil Jackson, and then Kurt and Linda Rambis. Last and wishfully least. Um, so that's nine. 
unless you group the rambuses together in which you're at, in which case you're at eight. But that's still a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously magic is kind of a, a quote unquote family member in this. He's a, you know, ceremonial bus family member. So his influence is not, um, you know, technical. He's not technically has a title with the Lakers anymore. He is just there. And he has obviously, you know, the basketball experience, even though his front office and, and post-career uh, foray to the NBA has not been successful, uh, nor has Kurt Rambis's. And the only one there who has is Phil Jackson, who hasn't coached in 10 years, right? So mm-hmm. I don't hate that Phil Jackson is helping with the coaching search because I value what a very experienced and, and wise man like Phil Jackson can glean, you know, glean into some of these candidates. It just depends on like, wait, is Phil looking for someone to run the triangle? Like how far does his, uh, his advising go? Right. And Mm -hmm. where does it stop? And what is he focused on in terms of helping Is he say who's the guys that are most like me or is he really trying to be objective and say who can help this team under these basketball circumstances? Um, and so I don't hate that Phil's involved once again, um, but I do think that I'm weary to hear just because I don't know the, the details of what and, and, and in specific ways in which he's helping the, the, the search. Yeah, I, I wish we knew a little bit more about how he's helping. I, he, winning this coach of all time, he's won, what, 12, 13, 11 championships total between player and coach? Like, he's been around a lot of winning. He hasn't, I mean, recently been involved in winning. And I think with how much the game and the NBA in general has changed, and we hear about, you know, old players and old coaches constantly whining about how it's changed. It, it's it's changed a lot. Like, it's a very different game now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And I think the components of what Phil brings that could add value would be his input on perhaps like leadership qualities of candidates or apologies for my dog barking in the background, uh, more on like the people side, what individual candidates might be bringing to the table and, and how he'd evaluate them and less so him like digging into like X's and O's. It's really hard to be up to speed and have really good evals on a bunch of coaching candidates unless you're really like grinding film and digging into what it is they're doing and how it's working and up to speed on the best practices. And for a guy who ran a triangle offense that I, I've, I've talked about before, I'm not, I'm not a big fan. It's not a particularly good offense. It's not a good offense for today's NBA or any league. There's nobody running it for a good reason. You'll find like, I think there's like a team in like in in Thailand that runs it, or or I mean, there's like a college, there's like a D two college men's team that runs it. Like nobody runs it anymore because it doesn't do anything. There's a lot of like moving around and not a lot of action. Uh, there have been certain components of you know you know two percent of that offense was oh we're going to run a split cut. Okay, that's been useful. That was taken out of there and teams use that. But like the triangle offense or the triangle offense is not a good thing that we should be, you know, that shouldn't be the lens at which he's looking to evaluate candidates. And there's a reason there isn't much of a Phil Jackson like coaching tree 
the things that made him a good coach were more that people side, less so the scheme side, even though the scheme side worked well for the talent he had with superstars. If you don't have superstars, it cannot work. And even with superstars, there are better ways to elevate their play than the triangle. So I would hope that his input is more on like personal quality, leadership quality, uh, you know, elements. But it's, I don't know, it's it's tough to say exactly how he's being utilized in that role because it could go well or go poorly depending on exactly what his like scope is. So really quick, <clears throat> just for some context for the people, because I know it's been a few years. Here's uh, it's an article from 2017 uh, from Ben Rohrbach. This is the six worst moves Phil Jackson made as the New York Knicks head basketball decision maker. Uh, he gave Carmelo Anthony a no trade clause. Not great. He hired Derek Fisher. No coaching experience. Triangle guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, this is kind of why mm-hmm. I'm bringing it up, right? Um, he traded for Derek Rose and give, he gave up Robin Lopez at the time. who was, you know, solid player. Derek Rose is coming off all those injuries and that sexual assault case. He traded, this is, I'm combining two trades now here, but he traded Tyson Chandler, Raymond Felton and, uh, J.R. Smith and Iman Shumper. And you know who he got back, Tim? You're going to love Who's that. You got Jose Calderon. Samuel D'Alembert, Wayne Ellington, Shane Larkin, two second round picks. And then the other trade, he also got Lou Amundsen, Alex Kirk, Lance Thomas. And then, oh yeah, he got Jerry and Grant for in a three-way trade and getting the worst player out of Tim Hardaway and Kelly Oubre. Look, I'm just, the main one I wanted to bring up was the hiring of Derek Fisher, who is a system that he wanted to run. Obviously this is a lot more, you know, he has control over every facet of the Knicks where he isn't in this. So I don't think he's necessarily looking for a triangle person, but look, that's why I slightly considered asking putting Derek Fisher up there. He's a former Laker, does have some head coaching experience. It would not be good, but you could see them talk themselves into it. Uh, I don't know. I don't have a ton to say about Phil Jackson. He's it's better than fucking Kurt Rambis, but you know what? If they're going to make Kurt Rambis sit in coaches interviews, it's not going to end well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I've heard, and I don't think this is reported, but I've heard this from a few people is that a lot of Phil's messaging to Jeannie recently, this offseason has been like, you need to retake control of your team. You need to yeah. reassert, like you're the, you're the governor, you're the owner, like you're in charge. This isn't the clutch show. This isn't the LeBron show. Like, we're not going to allow them to like dictate every move we make. And I could see that being, you know, in direct opposition of one of the other major parties within this group of eight or nine people that we've listed. And I think it's just something to note because I don't like he's not there on a day to day basis, but he is a voice in genius head and is a factor that's, you know, contributing to the decisions they make and could be contributing to some internal fighting as well. Yeah, and there's noted, you know, not, not great feelings between LeBron and Phil. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's been noted. I I don't recall where I saw it. I want to say I did, but I'm sorry if if this is not a thing. To where somebody reported that Clutch is not really involved in this process. So if we want to move on to them, obviously, 
you know, they gave the okay on Frank Vogel. I'm mm-hmm. not, I, I'm not exactly thinking that like LeBron went to management and said Frank or bust, you know, but I think it was made in a collaboration, that decision. And I think they might have taken it a step far with Russell Westbrook and that being a clutch LeBron pushed move where Jeannie seeded more control than it's not that she was against it outright. It's just instead of a collaboration effort where Rob and clutch or LeBron sat down and found this avenue that they were both on board with that makes the most sense on both sides. It does seem like they were legitimately split between the buddy healed and the Russell Westbrook trade and appeasing your superstar is the tiebreaker, right? Um, I don't know if that's exactly how things shook out. Obviously not in the room, but that's mm-hmm. my sense of things. Yeah, both. I mean, everybody involved there was willing to do that deal. They didn't force Rob Polinka to make a call at gunpoint or something to like execute that trade. It did, you know, they were driving it. And this isn't a brand new thing where LeBron will take credit for stuff that their front office does. And there's been that, you know, the GM thing going around for a while. From the people I've talked to with the teams and and on the clutch side, that's a you know a bit overblown. That's more uh, I'm trying to find a different word than propaganda, but like it it bolsters the perception of LeBron and w- when they're good moves. And and to this point, they've been generally good moves up or uh, to you know before last season, they had been generally really good moves. And then with the Russ trade, they were certainly driving a lot of that and. The Lakers front office was fine with it. And like you said, you know, appeasing your stars could have been that tiebreaker if they were on the fence of which deal to go with. Makes everybody look bad, but I can understand how at this point, Clutch is at least, you know, publicly trying to say, you know, the Lakers are running their own show. You know, we're here to represent our players, whatever. I would imagine that at some point, once the Lakers do narrow down their list of candidates, they'll float those ideas by their, their star players. And I would imagine that's what they did last time around. Given how recently we heard Darvin Ham was on the list of like thumbs up coaches during the last cycle. My assumption is it wasn't just that they said, you know, do you like Frank Vogel? Yes or no. It was, here's a list of guys we're considering. We'll work through it on our own time. But like, what is your, what are your thoughts? And they probably say, you know, this guy's good. You know, like him, like him, like him, hate him, like him, whatever. And I would expect that to continue happening, but I think from a motivation standpoint, with Braun, with Clutch, with AD, they want to win now with this team. They don't want the Lakers to just kind of sit and and hold their picks. And that was the dissonance between them and the front office at last trade deadline. Ultimately, I don't think it would have ended up mattering for a, a run to the title, given a bunch of other factors that didn't go in their favor. But this is that, you know, you've got to pull the trigger now, Rob, kind of situation from their perspective. And we haven't seen much of that played out publicly in articles or anything like that. I don't think they're attempting to make that push right now publicly, but I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised to see. I mean, I I think at this point it's, it's reasonable to expect LeBron's probably out of here once his, his deal is up or whenever his son gets into the league, he's going to go play with his son as a free agent, not needing to have a trade to make that happen. So he's going to keep that flexibility and his time with the Lakers is, is, coming closer to a close. And so with that being the case, he wants them to, you know, throw the remaining assets, uh, you know, 
let's let's win right now. And I think that, you know, is good for us short term. You want to win, but could be at odds with the long term, bigger picture thing. And I can see how it could be at odds with maybe Phil Jackson saying, hey, Jeannie, like, this is your own show. Like, if if you don't think you can compete this year, like, you don't have to appease them. You don't have to go all in if it's not going to ultimately do it. So then philosophically, should the Lakers be looking for a five-year plan at head coach where someone who can come in and provide some kind of championship equity for the team in the first season or two and then ride it out? Or should, you know, is that is this a two-year plan like Max? Let's say LeBron signs a one-year deal. Or I agree that most likely, you know, he's going to have that option to leave after the end of the season. And... So to, philosophically, should the Lakers be like, they should be all in on this next season. And that makes me less inclined to believe they'll get a first year head coach, but it's still mm-hmm. definitely within reality, I suppose. Yeah. The idea of a first time head coach versus a retread is an interesting topic. It's certainly applicable to the Lakers head coaching search. And it's something that Jared Dubin, who now writes for 538 in the past, I forget if this was Grantland or somewhere else. He did an analysis and looked at like for the past decade or so teams that hired a retread versus a first time head coach. How did their win percentage from the previous year to the next year look? And then what did it look like long term and pretty decent sample size. And there are a lot of factors here that, you know, can't quite be controlled for with how they did it. But they found that the retreads tended to do a better job in that first season. So next year for the Lakers did a better job from a win percentage standpoint, but from a long-term perspective past that first year, the, you know, the, the, the new time head coaches, first time head coaches, they did worse that first year, but long-term they ended up outperforming the retreads from a win percentage standpoint. And I get that. Like as a first time head coach, you're learning a lot. It is, you can have been an assistant. You could have been a player. Being a head coach is different. There's so much scope of responsibility. There's so much more. You could be a great X's and O's guy. Now you have to lead a whole locker room. You could be a great player. Now you have to, you know, consider all of these other operational things that weren't part of your life before. So learning the ropes and then pulling together a new assistant coaching staff, I could see that being a challenge and leading to a learning curve that results in your, uh, you know, production output, whatever, being lower to start and then getting better over time. And I think there's more upside with those first-time head coaches. And I'd say there's more upside looking at this slate of candidates in the Darvin Ham than there is in a Terry Stotts or something like that. Um, that's the case of a lot of the first-time options versus retread options. But at the same time, when you get a retread, they've done it before. They probably have a staff of people that know they're going to call together. And there's more immediate gravitas, perhaps, of I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. And they can get that immediate buy-in, potentially. Uh, in a way that it would be more difficult for a first-time head coach to obtain. So I get that. And uh, to your point, to your question of, do the Lakers are the Lakers picking a five-year head coach? Is this is it a two-year head coach position? Like they need to make a strategic decision, right? Because I think who they pick could differ based on what that looks like. I think a guy like Adrian Griffin, who who we recently saw them tied to, he's not an offensive specialist. He's not a defensive specialist. He's not a player development specialist. He is a people specialist and he's a generalist and if he comes in he's not going to come in with like these like groundbreaking x's and o's that i think are going to like i don't know really impress lebron or something like that but he's the type of guy that i can see being really great for a rebuilding roster obtaining buy-in generating a winning culture developing guys 
and get some good assistance along the way. That's a different kind of candidate than trying to grab a Terry Stoss or somebody like that who like, you know what they're going to bring. It may not have the same upside, but you know what they're going to bring from a scheme standpoint. Um, and so I can see different types of candidates fitting different perspectives or timelines for the Lakers. And I just, I don't know the answer of what they're looking for. So either way, right. They need to commit to short or long-term. They can't spend, they can't do both. You can't do both. You shouldn't try. Um, so hopefully they will realize that they need to commit to one side. Obviously we both think that they will commit to getting 18 as soon as possible and putting their assets into, you know, getting off Russell Westbrook into where they might, we're going to have another, you know, six or seven years of, of no assets. But if you get that championship, especially a second one in four years, it, it will definitely make everything a lot easier to swallow. I kind of want to transition shortly here into Genie. Now, we don't know especially a lot about what, you know, Jeannie's process is and all of this as far as specifically what she wants to change about how things have been going on. Right. So I just found this thread last week. Uh, uh, Shahan Ahmed, um, forgive me if I'm saying that wrong, was replied to one of your tweets and gave a great thread of anecdotes from various Lakers people. And I just want to read a couple of them really quick to make this point. Right. So here's from Stu Lance. First time I met Jared, Dr. Buss was 1987 after I was hired. And Dr. Buss said, you come with a good recommendation. Chicky baby has recommended you highly. I need to say no more. I thought this is the way it should be. This is the way owners should operate. When you hire someone and they meet your qualifications, let them do their job and go from there. He was always that kind of owner. It's from Gary Vitti. Leadership starts from the top. And he was one of those guys who commanded respect. He didn't walk around with a big hammer. He hired good people and he let them do their jobs. He trusted them. If we weren't playing well, he would just show up at practice unannounced, wouldn't say anything, just showed up and watched. And it, the level of intensity of practice rose with instantly with his appearance in the gym. It wasn't out of fear. It was out of respect that players wanted to play hard for him. They wanted uh, him to be happy with them. There wasn't a lot of sour grapes between the players and Dr. Buss. I think it's because he commanded their respect. He treated people with respect, never embarrassed anybody, never talked down to people. He was a very good man. So there, and there's other stories about Dr. Buss, you know, going out of his way to help Roni Turioff with a uh, really serious heart condition and ended up shelling out like I think over a million dollars for a surgery when he wasn't under contract. He had no obligation to do so. Um, I guess what I'm getting at here, Tim, with these stories is the lesson I think Jeannie would be do well to learn from her father. And I think she shares a lot of the same traits as Dr. Buss, but if you set your franchise up and Kurt and Linda Rambis are overshadowing every facet, this is micromanagement, right, Tim? Mm -hmm. What quality coach, what quality any department head, uh, department head is going to take a job, whether it's, you know, prestigious to the Lakers or not, if you want to take a job at Google and you know every time you do any kind of work, it's going to be, you know, micromanaged by three, four, five, six people, 
your val- you don't feel your worth is valued and that your expertise is being respected. And I am worried we're going down this path when you hear, oh, Magic's going to consult. Oh, Bill's going to consult. And Kurt's always here. Oh, and there's Rob, too. There's a lot of, lot of names and a lot of ideas floating around here. And it, when they're all trying to pull in the same direction without that person in the very front who's going to say, I'm going to hire hard and manage easy, which was Dr. Buss's philosophy. And just putting all of your effort and time into finding the right person and then getting out of the fucking way. I'm less optimistic. Those are the, that will be the outcome. I'm, it's not certain by any means. That is the direction I would like to see is to give this coach freedom. And if I hear Kurt Ramis is at practices, I'm going to get very worried. It's just not a good culture to be <laughs> in. But what, what do you think about the kind of, you know, again, I, I, I love Jeannie. I really do. Love that the Lakers have a priority, you know, governor, a woman owner. It's fantastic. And I think she's a great leader in a lot of facets. And I think there's certain lessons that she can learn from her father a little bit more as well. Yeah, I, I think there's a a willingness to accept that that she's not like a basketball mind so she's surrounding herself with people that she trusts to help her to help advise her and help her make decisions and I don't think that that's necessarily a flawed approach what becomes really challenging is when there are eight or nine influences in the room and there are different priorities there's there is an alignment there are there's conflicts internally there's no clear vision there's no clear strategy there's just this you know we're gonna win we're the lakers figure it out um that's challenging to to your point the micromanaging is very challenging it the the frank vogel experience if you were a candidate considering the lakers they, they first have to be considering you as well but if you're considering the lakers if you're one of these guys that they're tied to that they have interest in and you're trying to figure out, do I want to take this job? Do I want to take the Hornets job? Do I want to take the Kings job? Is there another job that's going to open up? And you hear, okay, well, when Frank was, if you go tall, if you call Frank and you ask him about his experience and he says, yeah, I had people on my staff that I didn't want on my staff, but I was forced to have on my staff. Like Jason Kidd, they told me I had to have him on my staff or I couldn't take the job. They wouldn't pay me. They, they wouldn't give me the, the contract length that was the norm for the NBA. They were low on the salary. They were high on, you know, pushing their own people, their, their own folks into my group, even though they didn't really know what they were doing. Um, and, and Jason Kidd apparently ended up, you know, being an asset to the team, but that kind of approaches, it can be iffy. Uh, the micromanagement in terms of being in coaches meetings, you know, overshadowing practices, all those different things. There's a difference between just like, you know, watching and observing and like, lingering and collaboration and and then going back yeah there's and and you have to get that alignment you have to get that buy-in up front and i think if the expectation up front is for i don't know what was communicated to frank up front that he accepted that he signed on to and said yes i'm good with kurt rambis being in my coaches meetings and telling me 
you know, how to run rotations. I'm okay with you picking who's on my staff. I'm okay with you paying me less for less years to take this job. That's not going to be appealing to the better candidates. The the people who are better among, you know, just among the list of 12 that was named in Harrison's tweet, the better ones on that list are not going to be happy with that environment. That's not an environment to thrive. It's one that the people, you know, once you cross off the names that just won't put up with that, you're left with worse options. And then, you know, that's where a new inexperienced coach that you can manipulate more, that you can force feed people on their staff. You can, you know, kind of be a shadow coach in their meetings. That's where I'm worried about a first year head coach with this team. And I'm trying to balance that worry with, the worry of, okay, with these retreads, I know there isn't much upside. I know, you know, certain ones are good. Certain ones aren't so good, but it's a, it's a really weird, tough situation with how they fired Frank with that situation. It was, it was, it was tough. It wasn't necessarily that like the the decision itself was wrong. It was how it, it came out early that, you know, (laughs) if we can't trust our institutions, Tom, what can we trust? Um, and, and that info got out early and it was a bad look. And Stan Van Gundy has commented on that. Others have commented on that. Quinn Snyder took note of that. Other coaches, I'm sure, took note of that. It's a bad look. So if, if the, from the Lakers' perspective, they are showing they're not going to treat you well as a coach. They're not going to set you up to succeed. And you don't know who you're reporting to because you've got Kurt Rambis that's in your meetings. You've got Phil Jackson and Magic Johnson who at any point in time can go – talk to the media or could be in Jeannie's ear. You've got Rob. Then you have Clutch that has their own agenda where they want to make sure they're winning now. There's so many different voices that I I can see it being an unappealing position. And it's wild to me that it's still considered by many to be a a great, great job, more because of the brand and the location and things like that, which are natural strengths of the group. But to your original point, the environment that Jeannie set up isn't helping them in this hunt. It's more so, you know, they're succeeding in spite of that. And I like take it, you know, pulsing the crowd, looking at a a silver screen and roll article from today, only 29% of Lakers fans that were surveyed think the current ownership group can get the Lakers back to title contention. And if they're not able to pull something off this upcoming year, I don't really know what that window looks like or when that window is. If, you know, post LeBron, this isn't a group of people that I trust in a group of assets that they have right now, I trust to be able to like put things back together in, you know, within like 10 years. So it's, it's a really, really challenging, it's hard to see what that next step is other than just saying, Oh, you know, some superstar player will decide to just come here the way LeBron did, which could happen, but before LeBron hadn't happened in quite a long time. Yes. And a point I want to get to now is Okay, and this might come off really harsh on Rob Palenka. If Rob Palenka was a basketball general manager, a basket, and you know what I'm trying to say? Like he was, instead of a personality, like ideas man, Mm -hmm. being a, I know how to build a, not just a culture, but a scheme and from coach to players, what is Rob Polinka's basketball modus operandi? Right. What does he believe in? What? what? So why the fuck isn't Rob Polinka hiring a coach? 
why the fuck is our GM not know how to put together a coach and a player composition? Why do we need consultants? Mm-hmm. I think it's a fair question to ask. And I believe he needs it. I don't think that they're taking power away from him that he should have. But if your head boss basketball, op, you know, operations guy is not a basketball mind, maybe I'm being too harsh. I'm just from what I've seen in Rob Palenka and how he speaks, he's going to make up some fucking allegory for, you know, manna from heaven instead of talk about running, you know, a drop coverage scheme and how to build players around in a fit that in a coach scheme that fits around that. Yeah. So what, what does he do here? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. Who... He, we know he he doesn't get along the best with others in negotiations either. Like, right? I, what I, do you do here, my guy? Right, right. It's in looking across all these different names. Like, wh- who do you trust the most from like a bat, like a twenty twenty two basketball standpoint? Is it Kurt Rambis, who was a in bad the, coach on a the long Lakers? Time ago? Is it Phil Jackson, who was a good coach a long time ago in a different era? <sighs> Is it Magic, who was a bad coach, an excellent player, and a not great? Uh, president of basketball operations, his success came in a very different era, different scheme, all that stuff. You've got Rob, who was an, a successful agent and has been a spotty general manager, has made some good moves, made some bad moves, but he also doesn't have that like background of the X's and O's, stuff like that. I don't know if I trust any of the four of those to be like, oh, you know what? You know, this coach is going to fit great with these players running this scheme, I don't, I don't know that I trust that. I almost trust Clutch more than any of them. But then the thing with Clutch is you know that, I mean, they pushed for the Westbrook trade, which we were yeah. talking about was an awful idea ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and that was before Russ like, like dropped off in, in his play a bit last year. So I don't, there's no one on here where I'm just like, man, I really wish their voice was a lot larger. You know what I'll say? I'll let, okay, go. I think you're going to go, 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 except. There. The other two, two of, I mean, there are more than just the three bosses. There are many bosses. They're, they're, I don't know how, how were there five of them? Six it's of a bus them? Full. There's a, yeah. Um, at least a short bus full. And oh. we've got Joey and Jesse bus who are actively engaged in real basketball things. Their job is basketball. Joey bus president of the South Bay Lakers, Jesse bus assistant GM. And he's the guy, you know, leading the scouting and draft prep from what I understand. Correct me if I'm wrong. 
That's my understanding as well. Okay. Both of them, their job isn't media. It's not spin. It's no. not. When do we hear from them? When it's, do we ever we hear, hear from, from them? them? No, they just do a good job. They just, they just do, do, do their job. job. Yes. Yep. And, and other people, you know, go to the spotlight. I'd love to see the two of them to do more. And Preach. I don't know that they'll do great. I don't know that they'll be making much, you know, these great decisions because we, because we don't quite know, but they've done a really good job in their positions so far. And their positions are basketball positions and their positions are 2022 current day, current era basketball decisions. So I trust what they're bringing to the table more than some of these other folks. And, and the thing is, even if you, you do make them larger voices and they have more power and they are missing something, they don't, they, there's still a gap there. I trust their ability to both identify that gap and find someone to fill that gap externally than I do for the magics, the fills, the genies, the robs to, to maybe not even recognize where that gap is. And if they do find someone within the family to go fill it and, you know, maybe not have the best person doing so. So I would love to see the the two uh, younger bus brothers get more voice within this front office because they've done a great job and I think they'll continue to be really good. At, I mean, Jesse, maybe Jesse's just fantastic with scouting and draft prep and he couldn't do the team building thing. I don't know, but I, I'd, love, I'd rather find you know, out that point, than Kurt yeah, fucking Rambis. The only chance that, well, not the only chance, if they're more involved, if you give them a shot, and maybe they are giving more of a shot and we just don't hear about it, but I'd love to see them give them more shot. I think they'd perform some of these other people already in their roles. And I think the upside is miles higher than having Phil Jackson, you know, Linda, Robin, Kurt, and, and Jeannie throw, you know, the, pick a strategic direction, fill out a roster, pick a coach. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I was trying to interrupt to throw that in there. And I'm, I'm glad we were on the same wavelength there, but it's like, I get, there is a certain point where these guys are on the younger side for basketball decision makers. I think mm -hmm. that's a bit, I don't know, reductive. Um, it, it, and it doesn't have to be age. It, it just has to be like, they're currently doing basketball, real basketball stuff. Now this is like, right. like, like, it, with Boston, Brad Stevens, him going into their front office, he was just a, a head coach. He gets the scheme stuff. And you can, you know, like him or dislike exactly what he did in his adjustments or whatnot. But he got, like, he was right in that world very recently. That is someone in a position where they can take what they just learned and make the decisions that they wish uh, Danny Ainge had made, uh, you know, stylistically from a basketball perspective. With the Lakers front office, it's people who have some basketball knowledge, but from a real long time ago, combined with people who don't have that basketball knowledge. So right. it's just not the same kind of situation. It's, yeah. And like, I, I just can't get over the idea that we, like the strongest part of the Lakers front office has been their scouting department. These guys have, when given an opportunities, gotten player after player after player you know, not just at the top of the draft, but in the middle, at the end, at the undrafted mm -hmm. stages now, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rob Palenka is not in charge of scouting. He's, from what I understand, you know, defers to them a lot. Sure, Rob is in charge of picking the players. Rob Palenka is not in charge of the head coaching search. 
seems like clutch and LeBron James are oftentimes in charge of roster moves. And I, I just can't let Rob slide here. If you're going to be a generalist and be a leader of department heads who know more than you, I respect that. I think that is a good system to listen to experts but if you have to bring people in from the outside to supplement your basketball decision makers uh, weaknesses, he's not going to feel great about it. And he's going to be less inclined to understand what needs to be done, not just after step one of hiring a coach, but step three through 2000, right? How to, uh, to push forward that decision and set that up for future and current success. Mm -hmm. So how is he going to understand how to build a roster around the coach who Phil Jackson recommends? Exactly. How does he understand how those interact? No clue. (laughs) No idea. (laughs) That's the thing. No idea. I don't know. And, and even when you look at some of the like smaller wins, the Lakers have had from a roster movement standpoint, I want like Stan Johnson, good find. Uh, Wendy and Gabriel, good find. Were those Rob or was it Jesse Boss in the scouting department? Or was Darren Collison 10 day contract Rob? Because LeBron's too busy playing basketball. You know, got to sign Isaiah Thomas, guys. Yeah. Like it's, it's hard to tally up wins and losses for Rob Polinka as a GM because there are a lot of other folks that help contribute to these decisions. And it's hard to know who's ultimately responsible for what he's ultimately the one, like, you know, clicking the button or making the phone call, but it's, it, it's, it's a tough situation, but I think you're bringing up the right, right things. There are clear deficiencies here. We have a lot of people who were really good at a job that are now doing a very different job. Yeah. And we're expecting them to just be good at that very new job because they were good at something else. They, you know, you were, you know, fantastic at playing center now play point guard no those are those are different jobs like come on like and and i think if you look at it through that lens you realize that the decision makers here aren't people who have been strong in these areas in the past we look at how they've done in the past magic (laughs) you know very openly poor decisions as like in from a roster management standpoint phil jackson in with the knicks poor roster management decisions poor coaching hire decisions the Rambuses, or, well, Kurt Rambus, not a very good coach. And he's the one shadow coaching in the locker room in, in, in the coaches meeting. So that kind of stuff. Rob Plinka, good agent. This is a different job. And you can have people who were good agents, good agents and become good general managers. But like, just go out. You're the freaking Lakers. All you have, the only thing that, that is holding this team down from having excellent people in these positions is them. That like, if you could take that approach that Dr. Buss took when he was in charge from the Lakers from, from what, 1979 to 2011, the Lakers missed the playoffs two times from 2011. And now they missed the playoffs seven times. Anthony Irwin tweeted that out a couple days ago. Take that old approach that you were describing with, with, with um, a couple quotes from different folks with Stu Lance and, uh, and, and Gary, and Gary Vitti. Vitti. Uh take that approach and you should be able to get great candidates to, to come over here, to coach this team, to build these rosters, to help advise. And, and I mean, it's, it's the kind of stuff that like, when you like look through history and you see these, like, I don't know, Kings and whatnot, and, and they are just trying to like cling on to their positions and 
they're not trusting anyone from the outside and they've got yes men around them or they've got people who are, have their own insidious reasons, their own, you know, I don't know where I'm going with this, but like, it looks like what, you know, a king that has their kids take over that just kind of inherited what they have, not knowing how to yeah. run it well. And we're seeing that. And it's not that they're bad people. It's not that they all need to be fired, but there needs to be some reflection and they need to take some better hiring practices, some better talent management practices. And I think this is, you know, a redeemable situation, not to the point that I think they can win, you know, titles in the next two, three, five years, potentially, maybe they have a shot this year, but they've got to, if they really want to reboot this thing post LeBron and, and be a premier franchise again, because they're right now, they're not, they need to start running themselves like a better franchise. You can only point at the logo for so long and expect to do well. Yeah. And the further away you get from these dynasties, the harder it will become to get people to sacrifice, whether it's uh, control, money, uh, security and Mm -hmm. length of contract um, for, you know, uh, I'm just have you been watching Winning Time? I've watched the, I haven't been up to, to speed. I've watched the first like three or four, I think. Okay. So, I mean, you've seen, I think, up to the plot point where Jerry West resigns as head coach and Dr. Buss is looking for, he will goes after Jerry Tarkanian. And then eventually Jack McKinney gets the job. Um, and these are not like, these are not Lakers people. And I know, yes, Pat Riley eventually becomes the head coach, mm-hmm. but he, it, you know, Dr. Buss is like, I want to get the biggest head coach out there. I want to make a splash, right? And I want to get them and get out of the fucking way because I want to go party and own the Los Angeles Lakers and mm-hmm. not manage the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, Obviously, Genie is not built that way. I don't know. I don't know. Jay Moore seems kind of wild, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> so, hey, man, hire Jay Moore. Let's go. Yeah, I think the results speak for themselves. I think looking at the hires that Dr. Buss made from a front office standpoint and then the head coach hires that they got after that were, I mean, they, they brought Pat Riley in, they brought uh, Phil Jackson in. Like they've, they've got some good front office. They've got some good head coaches throughout that. But if you go too long, like if the Lakers don't figure this out and it takes them an extra 10 years to start to revitalize things, at what point do you go from being the Lakers who have had the success constantly decade after decade to now you're the, the Knicks or you're the Knicks. You used to be real good. Yeah. That doesn't really hit for anybody right now. Yeah. It, like I don't it, people, players, players these days are, they know Kobe and, and they were watching the guys coming into the league now. Like they're watching that generation of guys, the guys coming into the league a decade from now, they're fucking watching Byron Scott and Luke Walton teams. That doesn't do anything for anybody. So you have to keep the the process going because you can only ride the coattails of your former success for so long. And for anyone taking a deeper look, it's it's very clear that there, there's a massive divide in how the team has operated and the success they've had and the process they've taken since Dr. Buss passed away and, and handed things off to his children. Yeah. Hey, if you want exceptionalisms, exceptionalism, you have to be exceptional. 
That's right. We expect the best. We're not here because we're just going to make shit up about how, oh, as long as you got LeBron and AD, like, you're always in competition. You're always a competitor and no like, they'll figure it out. Cause you know, Phil Jackson, of course you want him, you know, talking cause he's the winningest coach ever. Like you can have those talking points, but we want to dig in a little bit deeper and, and our expectations are high. And mm-hmm. we, we want this team to be running things the way it's going to take to succeed. And it's not just us making shit up, but Go look around the league and you can see what the better front offices are doing. Look, that's that's why people hate the Lakers is because they they do have competitive advantages, right? Mm-hmm. They do have tangible competitive advantages. That's where the exceptionalism of, on the Lakers and the Lakers fans end comes from. And the fact that they have competitive advantages and they purposely shoot them or not purposely, but you know, incidentally shoot themselves in the foot to rebalance out the, you know, the fairness, quote unquote, it's they they don't need to hamstring themselves the way they have. And it's just look at other organizations and how they're run. And I guarantee like the good ones are are nothing like the Lakers. Like look at Toronto's structure uh in, in the front office and tell me that Masai Ujiri didn't hire Nick Nurse for what he can do on the basketball court and not telling him what to do on the basketball court and how to run the you think Masai Ujiri said hey I think you should run some box in one mm-hmm. no <laughs> probably not no no he also he, didn't he, tell him not to yeah he said hey you're the fucking coach do it yeah and there's too much complacency. I struggle with this word complacency from Lakers fans of saying, well, you know, they, they have, you know, they did win a title. They have been good and not looking at the process that leads to those things and how we expect them to impact things moving forward and how bad process with this elite brand can still give you like, okay results. Mm-hmm. But if we know, cause we've seen it, good process with the elite brand is going to give you a dynasty. And that's what this, that's the expectation. That is the bar that's been set. That's what we know can happen under, you know, it can happen under the current CBA with the current environment, with all these restrictions, you can get to that if you're making good decisions and you have that great brand. So the sky's the limit. Like I'm never going to say, like, I don't, I won't say all, oh, you know, the Lakers in seven years, they can't win a title. We have no idea what's going to happen then, but no. we know the brand's going to be there. Yeah. If by then the decision makers are making more optimal decisions, you can quickly put a team together in, in a few years, but not if they keep shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, LeBron proved it. All it takes is that one superstar to come. If, if they're that right size, if it's, you know, obviously like a Luca or someone just insanely high end or even someone on the back half of their career. Right. Like, and I'm just literally saying names here, but you know, someone like the back head half of Giannis's career, I don't think Giannis is leaving, but I don't mm-hmm. think Luca is leaving. This is just examples. Mm-hmm. You never know because the brand is strong. Los Angeles is a pole. Um, it's always an option that Sacramento will never have that Detroit is not going to have, you know, that Orlando is not going to have. So use your tangible advantages and build upon them as a foundation instead of, you you know, those, that bad process coming back to bite you and limiting your chances at number 18. Mm -hmm. So do you think 
I, I think it's like a realistic thing at some point in the future for Jesse and Joey to really be up there and, and taking lead on basketball decisions. I think that's a thing. That's a real thing that can happen. I don't know if it's going to take another spectacular failure of a season for us to get to that. But if the front office, like core minds making decisions were to be like Jeannie signing off on things, which she's going to trust Rob, Jesse and Joey to make decisions. There's no meddling with the coaching staff magic can fill. They can let Jeannie know things, but they're not influencing like real decisions being made. Is that like, does that get to the, does that get the Lakers to a good enough place or does it really take like kind of cleaning house and replacing the GM altogether for, for them to get there? I think it depends because I think like there is a world where Jesse and Joey are given more responsibility. Let's say two seasons from now. And LeBron has left and Anthony Davis is 31, 32, whatever. Yeah. Uh, that is a tough spot to be in because they won't have but it's picks. Also... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just Keep saying, up. if you put them in a position to succeed, GM or co-GM 2027, you're getting a blank slate team. We are going to give you. Uh, all the opportunity to succeed and not have to judge you based on the four-year doldrums of 2023 to 2027 because we just, you know, shot our whole wad in these 2020 to 2023 range to get number 18, both 17 and 18. And I want to see them set up for success and being allowed to rebuild organically if, uh, if, that's what makes the most sense, right? Mm-hmm. For for the franchise. If you have an aging Anthony Davis, he, he's still valuable basketball player. You can trade him for something and start a rebuilding process where a GM can actually build from the right process instead of, you know, man- managing the wounds of the last, you know, uh, GM and, and front office. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think a post-LeBron world is a world where some of these people who are the attention seekers who want to be in the spotlight who care more about they, they care about you know contributing to winning a title they might look at the situation and say eh, this is a good time for me to focus on the dodgers or this is a good time for me to focus on retirement as like an 80 year old man um and so i do think there is almost a natural breaking point there where like if I'm Joey or Jesse and I'm trying to find that in, that's where you just have to lean in and say, like Jeannie, like this is our time. Like, what do we have to lose? We're not competing. We've you can see what we've done in the past. Like, if not now, if not next year, whenever that point is where it becomes clear the Lakers are in a rebuild mode let the two guys who have been awesome at restocking the shelves with minimal assets go do it. And on the big stage for the real team uh, continuously in positions of power and like, see what they can do. Cause I think like, if we can leave this tumultuous phase of the Lakers franchise with the missed playoff runs and that one title and, and I don't know, let's, let's say they compete for another this year, but then LeBron, it goes in place with Bronny and Cleveland or, Denver, I don't know, wherever. Um, 
it, and that's a clear turning of the page and we get back to good process and the right people are in charge and they're two like younger guys with enthusiasm that we know can do the roles. I don't feel, I, I think my, my, the percentage of people that say, you know, the current ownership group can get us to back to a title. I think the numbers will go up a lot, even yeah. though the like actual current state of the team with the roster and the assets wouldn't be what it is today. And those guys are at an age where they could be in charge for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for better or worse. I do think there's an expiration date on some of these things where sometimes the league starts to pass you by, right? Because yeah. uh, there's change constantly. Every year, every month, this change over change in the game. And, uh, you know, it's hard to see Kurt Rambis scheming up a, a movement three or finding players. Like, that's just not the NBA sphere in which he's succeeded and, and understood the mm-hmm. best. Yeah. So, but if we end up in a spot where it's like, all right, we've got AD, we've got Austin Reeves, we've got, I don't know, a couple young guys that they find in the next couple of years. And you've got Darvin Ham coaching. Avery Bradley, got, obviously. <laughs> and you've got Jesse and Joey running the ship. I think I, as a, as a fan can have fun, I can accept that. All right. We're not in winning mode right now. It's not winning time. It's rebuild time, but the right people are involved. And like, I feel good about like what we'd be building towards. Cause you can have a head coach and a front, you know, front office decision makers that are there for the long haul that are going to make mistakes, right. but learn from them. And right. there's just more belief and hope. I think in that scenario where right now it's like, like last this past year with the coaching staff, it was like, even when they like made little breakthroughs, we knew, you know, it wasn't going to carry over because they were done after the season. So there's like, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Cause you know, whatever growth happens, doesn't matter. There's, yeah. there's to me a little bit of that with like the Rambo situation and, and with magic and Phil where it's like, I don't like the, these people aren't hopefully long-term members of this franchise and members of that family in an active way. So it's, tough to be enthused and you're also almost more worried about what they're going to do and how they're going to influence than you are excited about what they're bringing to the table. Even though in, and with all due respect, they've many of them, all of them have been successful in different realms within their career in, in other areas, just not what they're being asked to do right now. Right. Well, that's all I got, man. Uh, this is a good kind of talk, talking through the, the Lakers front office and parsing through some stuff. Hopefully, I mean, we didn't talk about Linda Rambis a whole lot, but what what's there to say? Like, what do you, like again? It's like, what do you do here? Yeah. Uh, if her, so let's say this. Let's say Kurt gets the boot. Linda's still Jeannie's best friend, and she's still there helping. I don't know if I have an issue with that, but I I have honestly no clue what influence she carries and in what capacity toward Jeannie other than just being her friend how does she sway her you know at like is she more conservative in her uh decision making is she more aggressive than Jeannie I don't on the spectrum I don't know where she falls and what direction she's pulling her I just have no Mm -hmm. idea yeah so it's it's really hard to speak on her and I can't say I feel great about it yeah it's hard to separate what she individually is doing versus right. like when you group her and her husband together, like we know what Kurt's doing and we don't like it. Right. I but don't her by herself, like if you remove him from the picture and leave her, I don't know how to feel about it. Cause it's hard to, it's hard to know exactly what she's been doing, but we've heard her referred to as a shadow GM. And 
I, like you said, like, we don't know how aggressive or conservative she is. We don't know if she's like, I don't know, you know, lean on the other decision makers. Or if she's like, right. I don't like that coach. Let's not hire him. I mean, for all I know, she's pushing them toward good decisions and good process. Um, yeah, it could be. Uh, I, it's, you don't see a lot of it. So it's hard to, you know, give them the benefit of the doubt, but it's just so hard. And I don't want to speak about something or someone that we don't really know a ton about how their, their work you know, their work life plays out. Um, so all I know is it's not good. It's, it's, it's just not good. Um, so shoot Tim or I a, a five-star review uh, in our DMs of your podcast player of choice. You can get into our discord where we're doing a lot of great stuff. We'll be doing some, uh, you're doing some, some more coaching uh, clinics soon, Tim. Yeah, I got to get one up in the next couple of days. I think we're going to dig into how to beat show and recover defense, which I have the notes for, but I'm not like super excited about because it's not generally an NBA thing. But if it's, you know, it's more applicable to college and high school basketball, but we've gotten through other key ones. It's just, I'm not pitching this well. This isn't, <laughs> there's exciting stuff up ahead, but we're basically digging through like, how do you run offense? And, and we're going to dig into, you know, advanced defensive tactics as well. We're going to be digging into like, how do you build a playbook? How do you like put this stuff together? And it's all fun. It's all interesting stuff. At this point, if you were to join today, you would have about eight hours of recorded content starting from the ground and working its way up. And then that, that ongoing stuff every other week moving forward, as well as our bonus pods and a bunch of exclusive channels and just the great ongoing discussion about the Lakers, the league. There's been a lot of like Lakers aren't playing right now, but a lot of people are in there having fun every day talking about the other games that are happening and what can we learn from them? Like, oh man, this play was awesome. Or I don't know. It's just, it's just a good place for some good old healthy uh, basketball discussion and as well as, you know, MLB, NFL, uh, there's some WWE folks in there. I, that's not really my thing, but it's it's a fun place to hang out and uh appreciate all the folks for being in there i should cut him like a master class cranches mcbasketball on the nba scheme <laughs> it's trailer. basically what we're building we're working on uh so uh, right now it's it's a little bit more janky we're like i'm giving you the material and and we've got you know uh pdfs and notes and stuff but like and stuff like that. I'm sharing my screen and diagramming things. But the next, once we get through the whole cycle of content, the next iteration where we up on the tech side is going to be like, here's a page you go to with like the full lesson plan that has the video, it has the write-ups and there's a quiz at the bottom. And, you know, you're getting like little mini certifications and different things. And it's all going to be built into the website. So that's something we're working on. It may not be done this off season, but it's something that's going to be an ongoing thing, but the content itself is there. So love that. Uh, lots of people in there supporting us and and want to shout out, you know, Mike H for being an arena sponsor, Zach Harris, Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, and Chamber for living a high life with us in the owner's box. And then also to our courtside and lower bowl crews supporting what we're doing here. Again, like Tom said, you can DM us that five-star review, or if you check out the link in my bio on Twitter at Tim underscore MBA, you can pull up the full listing of like, you know, here's how to get in and then here are the different tiers. And here's what you get with each tier. So you can really get like the full scope of what you'd be signing up for. I love that. Let's, uh, let's, let's make people uh, into certified schemers. Absolutely. All right. You know, ball, it's the ball knower certification. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we appreciate y'all get at us. And until next time, we'll talk to you later.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.